I want to talk just a couple of minutes before I get into what I, what I really want to talk about. I wanted to talk about the dangerous conference that was this past weekend. I had an opportunity to go. I went uh, with Totsky. Where's Ty? There he is. Totsky was there. He came Saturday, uh, was able to make it. Tim Fox was there. David Woodham came for Friday and part of Saturday. Tim Fox and I actually stayed the whole time. And I think it was really blessed. It was talking about dangerous men and, and aspects of what dangerous men are. We talked about dangerous men in culture. We talked about dangerous time. Talked about dangerous authority. Talked about dangerous masculinity. There were six sessions that everybody had a, had a chance to go to. And for me, there were, there were a couple of things that stood out. And, and one of the things I'd like for you to do for those who, who didn't go, and just as a church, uh, talk to the people who did go because they may have had a different perspective of what they heard. Again, as I said, there were a couple of things that were important for me, and the first one had to do with masculinity and culture. One of the things that uh, I learned a long time ago uh, through, through contact and eventually meeting Eldridge and the Ransomed Heart, which is now Wild at Heart group, had to do with the fact that many men in our culture are taken out. We, we don't participate. Uh, we, have, we have been demeaned. We have been diminished. We have been a lot of different things, but we just aren't being the men that God called us to be, to live in an adventure, a big adventure. So, Tyler, who's one of the elders over there, and Tyler is going to come here at some point in time in the near future, about, about two or three weeks out, and he's going to talk to the eldership and leadership, and hopefully he'll come and preach to it because he's a wonderful preacher. He talked about the fact that, that when, when men relied on themselves, they created a culture, and the culture created for them a domineering type of status. And he, he said that it actually went from, it, it, you could probably guess that it went from before the 1920s, but if you remember from the 1920s, I almost got that one, uh, from the 1920s until about the 1950s or 60s, the man was in charge, whatever the man said was the absolute final authority, and if you stepped out of line, you got pushed back. You know, this is what I say, this is what goes, this is how it is. And that all became because we were dependent on ourselves as men, not men of God. So he said, unfortunately, then there was a pendulum swing, and it's not unfortunate. I mean, we would expect that, that things are going to change over time, and there was a pendulum swing in such a way that you had the man, and, and y'all see it even now, uh, in commercials and so forth, the man is pretty much not someone to be listened to. He creates the problems in the family, and it's up to the wife and the children to fix him, you know, to make him right again. And Tyler called him the doormat father, the doormat husband, the doormat man who gets trampled on and is pretty ineffective in general. Then finally, we've kind of come to a middle road, uh, and I've spoken about it briefly just a moment ago, is that we have now what he calls the mushy man. And mushy man is a guy who really doesn't do much of anything. He's not involved a whole lot. He just kind of 
goes to work and comes home, doesn't participate with his family a lot. And this is the guy who, as I described earlier, is the guy who's taken out. And I thought that the really important part of this whole thing had to do with the fact that this is how culture has defined men. This is what culture has done. And the whole thing about being dangerous in culture is that we have to overcome that. We have to become what God has called us to be. We have to act and we have to move out of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And in that way, we affect not only ourselves, we affect our families, we affect our communities, we affect our states because we're moving in the way that God created us to be. The second big thing for me that was a takeaway was Greg Haswell when he spoke, and Greg is the lead pastor at uh, Northland's church, and he talked about dangerous authority, which is the, the authority that God has given each man, uh, each human, uh, but we were talking about men because it was a men's conference. We talked about uh, this in relation to men, and, he, and he, it, it, it was really important, important to understand that authority from God is designed to benefit those it serves. Now, most of us, and I know I have, because I'm going to talk about that later, uh, been involved with uh, leadership who have authority that doesn't serve its people. It's kind of be abusive, to be ab absolutely honest. And so, um, that was, that was a real important thing. Authority is designed, God-given authority is designed to benefit those it serves. He said with authority, his second point was authority is always connected to responsibility. And if you think about responsibility, you have to go back to number one, that is to benefit who it serves. And then the third thing he said was that authority is a dangerous and powerful weapon, and it has to be deliberately used. Got to go back to number one again. If you're, if you're doing things to serve the people you have authority over, then you're in proper relationship with God, and you're, in proper you're using your authority in a proper format. So those were my takeaways from the weekend, and I'm, again, deeply thankful that I, I was able to go and, and spend some time, got to meet a lot of really neat people, see some old friends that I've developed uh, friendships with over, over the number of years that we've been together and associated with Northlands. But um, again, as I say, talked to Tim Fox over here and Totsky, who was there, uh, talked to, uh, uh, talk to um, David Woodham, um, and just kind of get their perspective on how, what their takeaway was from the, from the conference. So now uh, I want to go to what I'm going to talk about today. And if you see this, you see these iron gates and this, they're flung open. And the question is, what cost freedom? And, and it's kind of where you put the emphasis on the syllables, right? What cost freedom or what cost freedom? It's a real important it's a real important issue. What cost freedom? And I know it sounds like a battle, and most of us understand when we talk about the cost of freedom, we see, we see war, 
we see, uh, we, we always talk about the, the blood that gets shed in the battle, right? A bloody battlefield. We can think about the Civil War. We can think about the Revolutionary War. We can think about all the wars that people have fought for, for freedom, and, we, and, it, and it's a mess. And it takes a lot in order to gain that freedom. So, um, but that's not this story, in part. This is a different story. This is a story of what we benefit from because what Christ has done for us. It is a battle. It is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle for your life and my life and the lives of the world. This talk is about a gift. It's about the gift of grace. And it's based on this gift that God has given us. It's based upon uh, the assurances of Christ's sacrifice for us and that once we have accepted that sacrifice, that we understand that our salvation is absolutely complete. Absolutely complete. So perhaps as I go through this, the most important thing to understand is this, that Christ gave everything so we could have everything. He gave everything so we could have everything. And when I say that uh, Christ gave everything, I know we all understand that he, he had a uh, he, he died a brutal death on the cross. He had the time when he, he was taken before uh, the Sanhedrin and taken before uh, Pontius Pilate and taken before all these people. He was flogged and beaten. His flesh was flayed, and then he was nailed to a cross, and he bled out, and his, his blood was shed. It was flowed for us. Now, all of this was done for a new covenant, and all of this was done to override what could not be accomplished under the Mosaic law, which was the law that everyone operated under up until the time of Christ. And another thing that's really important to understand from my perspective, and this is one of the things that I had to grapple with prior prior to the new covenant coming into play, your sins could not be forgiven. They could only be covered, and they could only be covered through the sacrifices of the blood of animals. Now, that seems kind of strange, but the only one who could cover my sins would actually be another human being. And hence, Christ fulfilled that role as the perfect sacrifice, the pure lamb, the lamb of God. Um, and once we see and understand that sacrifice, we, we understand that, we are act absolutely sinless before God. God does not see my sin anymore. He doesn't see that because he can't look on sin. What he sees, he sees Christ. And Christ is out there going, yeah, I, I, I know Alan. 
I, I, I see Alan. Yeah, I, I, I speak for Alan, and he's with me. And when Christ says that, when Jesus says that, God says, oh, okay, yeah, I'm for him. He's with you. About 23 years ago, I, I think I could legitimately say that I started my walk in earnest um, when I came to Dothan. Um, as some of y'all remember from my last talk, I came here a broken man, and I, I got broken because of my own sin. I really screwed up in a major way. Um, for me, I was one of those people who believed that I was capable and competent, that Depending on me, I was capable and competent. I could do things on my own. I was able to figure out things. I really didn't need anybody to help me, so I was operating out of my own strength. Um, I do want to kind of give you a note to this. I actually got saved in an Episcopal church up in uh, Falmouth, Massachusetts. My father was stationed at Otis Air Force Base at the time. We were Episcopalians. So as I tell you, I've I've been an Episcopal, Methodist, Presbyterian, and now and now I'm free. (laughs) So so, um, I I was 13 at the time, 13 or 14, and this was a wonderful church. It was probably two or three hundred years old, and I gave my life to Christ at that time. The problem became in that I. I didn't realize all these ways that I was living because I I saw self-sufficiency was the way to to do things. And there was a time in my life where uh, my father actually wounded me in a way that created problems for me for the next about 40 years of my life. Um, So even though... I had accepted Christ, even though I I believed that Christ was my Savior, I did not live like that. I kind of lived like the heathens. I was out there cursing, doing things I shouldn't have done. I was, I was, you know, I was was just not living the the life that God actually called me to live because I didn't understand it. I relied on myself. And because of that, uh, I ended up here in Dothan. Uh, I ended up in um, in my brother's house, uh, and many of y'all know my brother, my brother Terry. He's actually over at Northens. He lived here in Dothan for many, many years. Uh, but he brought me in. He let me stay in his house. I slept on a mattress in my nephew's room. Uh, I was unemployed. I had been the director of a psychiatric unit in Selma, Alabama for many, many years. As a matter of fact, I worked in mental health for nearly 20 years before I ended up uh, here in Dothan. So I was unemployed, and I felt absolutely disapproved of at every level of my life. I felt like there was no redemption. 
one of the things I learned in that, that I've learned in this process that the one thing that Jesus is all about, he is all about redemption and restoration. He's all about redemption and restoration. So one of the things I would do is I really submitted myself. I submitted myself to the pastorship of this church. Uh, absolutely. I said, I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will do it however you want me to do it. And so one of the things that I did is that uh, while at my brother's house, uh, we, there were, uh, they would have weekly prayer meetings. Loretta would go to those prayer meetings. And we would sit around and, and you know, these were, these were not just, you know, quick prayer and gone. These were one, one and a half, two hour prayer times. There was, there was worship, there was, there was all kinds of things going on, there were prophetic words, things that I had no clue about. And I sat there in that house probably about six months before I could even open my mouth and feel like I could contribute a prayer to God. But I was listening. I was listening the whole time. You know, I'll tell you, some, some issues, some people may have issue with speaking in tongues. I don't have an issue with that. I did before I came here. But I have to tell you, one of the first people who prayed over me in tongues was Amenta Palmer, you know, one of the mothers of this church. I don't have a clue what she said. But I can tell you this. It was one of the most blessed times that I ever experienced. It was part of the love of this church, of this body, Dothan Christian Fellowship, that allowed me and was part of that restoration time for me. So I, I continued to do what I needed to do. And um, as a result of that, uh, I got to meet some really neat people. And I met a guy by the name of Lyle Brown, who was a member of this church. And Lyle uh, would act, actually, he would, he would take me out. He was a plumber. He would take me out. We would go together, and we would go uh, to various job sites and, you know, dig holes and lay plumbing pipe and things like that. And we were out one time uh, on a site, and um, we were talking about grace and so forth. And I'm going, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I, I'll think about it. And he said, you know, Alan, it's, it's a gift. And I said, okay, okay. He said, no, no, you don't misunder you misunderstand me. It's a gift. And he said, but the important thing for you to understand is you have to receive it in order to have it. And as soon as he said that, bam, big light bulb, aha, exactly. Now, you know, those of you who are here probably know I'm an attorney. So after, you know, 12 years of, of elementary school, secondary school, the end of high school, uh, five to six years of college, including some graduate work, three years of law school, I finally understood the gift. And here's the law of gifts. The law of gifts, and this is, this is what it is in our country, the law of gifts is that I can make a gift and I can set it right there on the floor, and I can say, that gift is for whoever. And they can be told about it. They can, be, they can know about it. 
But if they don't come pick it up and receive it, actually take it into their hands, the gift is not complete. And that's what I was missing. The completion of the gift because of grace. So when I got that, when I, when I, when I got that thing that I could receive this gift that God had, had provided for me, that was really some of the beginning of this 23-year journey. Now, I understand. I get it, right? We, we want things to happen immediately. We, we, we want to go and get, the, get, get something happening and, and, uh, and let it move forward immediately. But, you know, if you look at the lives of everybody, the, the biblical characters, all that, all of, all of God's work happens over time. And I'll tell you a story, just kind of let you know that God was working in my life. I, uh, when I left Selma, uh, I, I, I had, had, had a bad relationship with the administrators that I had uh, at the hospital that I worked at. I ran a psychiatric unit for about eight years, and we didn't, we didn't do well together, and I resigned from that facility. But I, had, I was so angry at those people for what they had done to me and how they had treated me that I actually would, was at a point, I said, if I found them in an alley sometime, somebody was going to get hurt. I mean, I was that angry. So one morning as I'm lying on my mattress at, uh, in my nephew's room, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and God says to me, he says, you know, I can't forgive you unless you forgive them. And I'm going, nah, that's not particularly fair, God. And he said, no, you don't understand. I can't forgive you unless you forgive him. And so what I had was a vision that God actually placed me right there in front of this administrator, and he said, forgiveness. And I, I, I get, again, this is, not, this is not right. This is not fair. And I could feel the tears dripping down my face. And I finally said, I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness for what you did. And I ask you for your forgiveness for what I did you know, to y'all and how I behave for y'all. And as soon as I said that, the Lord spoke to me and he said, it is done. It's finished. And all my anger went away. Just like that. It was gone. So that was some of the beginning work that God did to lead me on this journey that, um, that, that I had been on for the, for the last 23 years. So with that, I began to experience, you know, a lot of joy, a lot of peace in my life, um, and then I got introduced to John Eldridge. Uh, as I've told you the last time, uh, my brother had read the Wild at Heart book, and it made him so angry because of things that, of, of our family life and what my father had done, and my father, my father was a good man. I, I, don't, I don't want to diminish him from that perspective. My father was a good man. But he, but he was a very distant man. He was a, he was a, 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 a he retired an Air Force lieutenant colonel. Uh, he had a lot of structure. We had a lot of structure as a result of that. And he did not give much to us emotionally as we were growing up. So, uh, I'm, I, I, I went to a John Eldridge boot camp, and I was out in in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and actually, not in Denver. It, it, it was at a uh, 
facility that was about an hour north of Denver. And one of the things that Eldridge talks about, he talks about the father wound, that all men are wounded by their fathers. He talks about a mother wound, but he doesn't really like to go into that because that's a whole different level. That's a whole different level of, of, of relationship. But he was very specific that our fathers wound us in various ways. And for me, I was sitting there looking out at the, it was, it was fall time, and I'm looking out, the aspen trees are gold, gold with their leaves. Just fantastic. There was water nearby. The mountains were all around us. And so I was thinking, that wound, what's my father? My father's a good guy and everything. And then it came to me. Uh, when I was about eight years old, we lived in Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, we were, dad was getting uh, uh, training uh, before we were going to go to Japan at that point in time. He was getting some training in his field. And we were at the dinner table, and we were talking about stuff, and I made some mouthy comment and said, well, I just don't want to be here. And he literally picked me up and threw me out the door and said, get out and don't come back. Whoa. Whoa. I'm an eight-year-old child, and I'm trying to figure out where does my next meal come from? Where am I going to stay tonight? Do I, do I need to go down to the neighbor's house and see if they can help me? All of that occurred, and ultimately my father brought me back in the house and told me all the things I shouldn't do now. And, um, but what that left me with was a scar that I had to obey authority and if I didn't, there was an absolute penalty to pay, an absolute penalty to pay. And so for me, it created a place of fear in my life, and I lived out of that fear until I was around in my 40s. So from Eldridge, I learned that, that life was this, and, and this is what God created, life was this huge adventure. That's what he created it. He created us to be wild in this adventure. He created us to be in association with other brothers. He created us to draw beauty into our lives, to bring, li to, to bring life and, and let them walk beside us in that. But we were to be the ones that went out and we did battle and we did the things that were necessary in order for us to be wild men, alive men. And I really took to that. The last time that I talked to you, I talked to you about the big fig leaf issue, and that's what this was all about. This was learning about how to get rid of the fig leaf, and that's what this part of the process had been. Eventually, Dothan Christian Fellowship got into a relationship with Northland's church, and uh, it was actually part of uh, that time. It was, called North, uh, it was part of a group called uh, New Covenant Ministries International. And we started a relationship, and my brother Terry had begun some, some time with Northlands uh, and talked to Greg Haswell, and Greg said, well, we just, you know, we don't take churches in. We develop relationship, kind of an umbrella thing. We like that. He said, why don't, why don't we date for a couple of years, <laughs> you know, and we'll see if we, if we work together, if we can work together, okay. And so my brother and the leadership agreed, and that's kind of how we got tied into Northlands. 
Um, so it was, it was while while we were tied to Northlands that they brought in a, spe- a speaker by the name of Rob Rufus. And Rob Rufus is a missionary in the, in the Orient, and he started talking about grace. And I sat there and I listened to him, and it was another one of those aha moments. I mean, it was like, bam. Oh, my gosh. How have I missed this for so long? And the truth of it is, many of us, many of us have missed that issue for so long. And the part, of, part of the problem is, for me, I always felt that my salvation was tenuous because of what my father did, the father, that father wound. I always felt that God was at a place that he could dispose of me. And that was what I felt like. I felt like a disposable person and that God was this powerful creature and that at his whim, I could become nothing, absolutely nothing. But I came to find out that how much God really loved me. And there was nothing that I could do bad that would cause him to love me less. And there was nothing that I could do good that could cause him to love me anymore. So what happened then is I became, in essence, a slave to to sin and death. I still believe that, you know, I could, I was gone. I, 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 this, this, so I'm trotting, I'm just trotting through life, you know, can't wait till I get to the end of it so I can get to heaven, kind of, you know, that, that was the position that I took. And so it was all about performance. And that's the whole thing behind, um, behind what Rob Rufus called the mongrel of works and grace. You get grace, you're saved by grace, right? But unless you do such and such, then it's probably an indication that you really weren't saved at all. Or, or if you don't do something else to get our approval, then we got a problem here. So this, this, this constant, constant pull that, that Christ did what he did for our benefit, but somehow you still have to live up to it. In, in fact, in the Jewish time, uh, what happened was um, uh, when people had gotten grace, and I'm going to talk about Galatians, the church in Galatia, when they had gotten grace, but then the Judaizers, the people came, you know, because Gentiles were excluded, they were not part, but through grace they became part of Christ, the openness of Christ. And, but the Judaizers said, well, but, you know, you've you got to be circumcised. You've you got to do this, right? So, so grace was not sufficient, according to the Judaizers. So what happens is that they come back, and this was another thing uh, that Rob Rufus talked about. He goes, he, 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 he's writing, and this is in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? 
And that, that broke my heart. Because I realized that although I had moved in this pattern towards grace, I was still living as that slave to sin and works, to sin and works and sin and works, and couldn't ever, couldn't ever find a place of rest and peace. So what I need to say to you today, very clearly, is that we're, it, it was for freedom. It was for freedom that Christ came to set us free. So, I need a Bible real quick. I, I have one. <laughs> I had it on my phone, but I apologize for that. <laughs> I always have to go back is that uh, uh, I've read, someone told me once upon a time, he talked about uh, the some of the Gospels, that one way to look at it was the GE Power Company. So over Galatians, Ephesians, right? It's in here. Here we are. I think this is important. This is... This is um, this is Galatians 3, and I'm going to read 1 through 14. It's a little lengthy, but if you'll, if you'll stay with me. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort, works of the flesh, performance. Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? That's a critical part. God only really requests that we believe. That's what, that's, what the, that's what this is about. It's about believing in the work of Christ. He says, consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are the children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. This was before there was law, you know? This was before the Mosaic Covenant. All nations will be blessed through you. And that's, that was the promise to Abraham. And he said, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does, who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. There was a point in time in the, when the Mosaic, uh, when the law of Moses came in, or actually the laws, the Levitical laws and so forth, the rabbis would sit down and say, okay, they're in the valley and there are people up on the mountains looking in and said, okay, you are blessed if you do this. And everyone goes, amen. Yeah, okay, we'll do it. And then on the said, okay, and you'll be 
cursed if you do this. And everyone goes, amen. You know, I, I think I'd have thought that through a little bit more, right? But that's what that, that's what that refers to. He says, he goes on, he says, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who, who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith in by so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So these are the things that I started really taking in and experience. And I started seeing the Bible and the and the scriptures in the Bible in a whole different way. So let me now read also from, from Romans, talking, continuing talking about grace and how we, how we get that grace. He said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life, life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless... Uh, for, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. And what happened with that is that the Pharisees and the people who taught the law, if they didn't like how it went, they'd kind of change it to make it more palatable for everybody else. It's kind of what we do today in law. You know, if we don't like how something is going, we either make it more strict on one side, on the criminal side, or we make it, you know, a little bit easier on the civil side. So it's do, we're doing the same thing today. So God did by, you know, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What happened with Christ is that when He was crucified, He bore all our sins. The burden of our sins crushed who He was. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So that's what our life is now. I talked about in the dangerous, uh, uh, dangerous uh, conference, they talk about living out of the Spirit with the Holy Spirit because that's what gets left with us, the Holy Spirit. You know, God for us, Jesus with us, the Holy Spirit in us. And then also in Ephesians uh, 2, 5 and 8, 9, it says, because of His great love for us who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by His gift that you have been saved. It is by His goodness that you have been saved. It is by His mercy that you have been saved. All of this speaks of the character of God. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for, from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing you can do that will cause Him to love you any more. There's nothing you can do that will cause Him to love you any less. And here's Acts. Through Him, everyone who believes is set free 
is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. If you want the doors open and to be free, it's through grace. It's through God's grace because He loves you. He wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. So how do you get, how do you get that? Well, you know, uh, how does someone learn how to love another person? Well, they spend time with them. They talk about things. They meet with other Christians, and they talk about their experiences. They love, they love being around people. They, they, out of their freedom, out of their freedom, they love to be here, to come to church, to associate. So I've shared this journey with you, and the reason I shared it is because I want you to know that today, my salvation is not in question. I'm not a disposable person anymore. I, I have no question about my life. I am free. That's exactly why Christ came. And out of that, I've been redeemed and I've been restored. And I have confidence. I have that assurance that Christ, what He did, He did for me. And He does for you. The door is open. And to let you know what I believe, I believe I'm His heir. I'm His beloved son. I'm an ambassador for Him. He gives me authority. And he uses all kinds of superlatives, superlatives to talk about who we are as his children, who he wants us to be. And it's only because of his great mercy and his love for us and the sacrifice of what Jesus Christ did for each one of us. This morning, we, <laughs> in our prayer time, uh, Valerie played the song, New Wine. And it's a wonderful song because it talks about in the crushing and the breaking, and so we became new wine. And I think that's what grace is about. It's about making us and the opportunity to make us into something new, to be reborn, right, to have a new life, to, to start over again so we can be free from the, the law of sin and death, to be absolutely free uh, and have, have a fulfilled life in Christ. So I'm going to release the folks online. I thank you for joining me today. Uh, the people here in the congregation, we have one more thing that we need to do, but I'm so grateful for you all, and I bless you today. I bless you today in the name of Jesus and pray that you have a wonderful week ahead.